Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Music, Money, and Life podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by HowToLicenseYourMusic.com. If you're interested in learning how to make money licensing your music into television shows, video games, commercials, advertisements, and more, visit HowToLicenseYourMusic.com. with Daryl Berg, who is the founder and CEO of a company called Sound Canyon. Daryl is formerly the, the director of music uh, for Fuel TV. Daryl, when did you found um, Sound Canyon? I had a few things between Fuel and Sound Canyon. After Fuel, I was uh, head of music over at Reveille Shine, which is a big independent studio. And then after that, I was over at um, a company called Fremantle, which does a bunch, you know, American Idol, America's Got Talent, all that type of stuff. Uh, and then uh, after I left, I decided to hang up my own shingle and see what I could do for myself. So here I am. So cool. that was about a year ago. About a year ago. Cool. And how are things going? Where, where, like, what kind of projects are you licensing music into? I can't complain, and no one would care if I did. Um, you know, I just did a movie. I just did a music supervisor movie with Jamie Foxx called Sleepless that came out last week or two weeks ago, two weeks ago. Okay. Uh, doing a lot of digital stuff, a lot of digital stuff, you know, Brave New World and not everybody kind of understands in the digital space. So helping a lot of companies do that, doing some in-store music licensing for a headphone company. So, you know, when you, you hang out your own shingle, it's uh, beggars can't be choosers. And you just sort of try to build as, as much as you can and as quick as you can and Maybe you'll stumble onto somebody who actually wants to pay you. Awesome. So what kind of projects are you working on in the like new media di digital world? What kind of things um, are you working on? In the new media on? digital world, I just finished up a project for a client that's doing sort of blanket clearing live performances, uh, doing sort of blanket deals for um, with publishers and, and masters and all that. And I'm, I'm not sure where they're at with it. You know, in the digital space, things tend to be a little bit fluid. Uh, and then I have another one of my clients is a um, an MCN, multi-channel network, mm -hmm. specializing in dance and pop, which uh, is always fun and interesting. You know, gets me on the top of the chart, so to speak. Uh, and then I do a lot of uh, – I have a, one of the, a director who's done a lot of very well-known YouTube shorts. I do all her music clearance as well. That's kind of my big new media stuff right now, and it's been really the bulk of my business. You know, these are fairly – long-term large-scale products but i'm you know it's a new company it's you know barely a year old so i'm just doing what i can do and trying to grow and get as many clients as i can yeah for, for sure it, it's as you know it's an incredibly competitive space what yes. what are you um what do you find is working music wise i know there's like so many different projects and different supervisors have different needs is there any sort of uh do you kind of have your finger on the pulse of, of what's working licensing wise currently well, I listen to pretty much everything, you know, everything that comes across my desk. I, I actually still listen to MP3s. It's funny to think that MP3s are, or 
digital files are a quaint form of listening to music, but with everybody going to Spotify and all that, but you know, I get all my music every, you know, once a week, uh, I, I collect it all. And then on Friday I do a big dump into my uh, server and then I, and then the following week I listen to everything and then repeat the process. So I try to get a general sense of what's out there. You know, it really, there's no one thing that's doing better than others. I mean, for the dance thing, it's definitely a lot of trap music and, and, and hip hop like that. Um, but, but that's just, that's what that client requires. You know, I mean, another, the movie I did had Run the Jewels and Danny Brown in it, which is hip hop that's about as far from trap as possible. Yeah. So it, it, there's no, and I do, obviously I do a lot more than just hip hop. That's just what I'm working on now. But, um, you know, there's, there's no one style that dominates any other style. I think it's it, whatever works is whatever the producer is comfortable with and whatever the producer wants. I think, you know, most music supervisors will tell you it's really nice to have great taste in music, but what you really need to do is be able to translate what the producers and the directors want into their vision. Yeah. So sometimes it's clearing exactly what their vision is, and sometimes it's offering them alternatives, uh, and sometimes it's a mix of both. So there's really no one dominant style, you know. Yeah. There are certain chestnuts that everybody's going to want. Everybody's going to want something that sounds like Coldplay. Everybody's going to want something that sounds like, you know, Ed Sheeran. Everybody's going to want... If it's in year, they're going to want something vaguely Radiohead or vaguely Bon Iver. So it's really no definitive, you know, it's no one thing. Yeah. So obviously one of the challenges for, for writers and artists that are trying to break into this space is figuring out what to write and, and how to approach songwriting in terms of what might work for licensing. Do you, do you think it makes sense to sort of think about licensing as a songwriter? No. Or do you think it's better no. just to write music that you're inspired to write? I think I, I think that it's better to write what you're soulful about and write what you're passionate about. And if it works, it works. I think if you're trying to fit a round peg into a square hole, I think that, you know, unless you're writing for a library, right? If your job is to write for a music library and you need thrones and you need up-tempo pop and you need mid-tempo acoustic ballads and all that, and that's your job, that's fine. But if you're a working singer-songwriter or a working artist, write what, you, write what you're going to write and let the world find you. Don't write, you know, don't write because, you, you know, you're a writer because it's a passion and, and because you it's an emotion and because you feel something inside of you. And, and don't write what's in some, inside of somebody else, write what's inside of you. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because overwhelmingly the – sort of unanimous consensus from people I interview is exactly what you're saying, just to write what you write. And it's interesting though, because like when I started in licensing way back in 2002, 2003, my publisher at the time sent me this list of like, here's a sort of list of criteria of what works for licensing and different things like, you know, no long intros, uh, really strong hooks. So I think it's important to sort of be mindful of, how music is used in the context of licensing, licensing, but it seems like everybody is saying exactly what you're saying. Just right from, from the heart. It's all about music after all. Cause we're a music fan. I mean, maybe you're not a music fan. Maybe you just think music supervision is cool. I don't know. I hope not. I hope there's not people like that in the business, but I'm sure there are, but you know, we're music fans. And at the end of the day, we want to hear something, you know, we fell in love with music because it was somebody else's vision, not what we are vision. You know, if it were our vision, we'd all be much better songwriters. Yeah, no, for sure. That that makes total total sense. Are you – I'm curious, did you start as a musician? Like what is your background? What drew you to working in this field? Um, sorry. Uh, what drew me to – I'm the – you know, I'm a music nerd. I, I, I'm a terrible guitarist. I was a terrible various woodwinds player in high school. 
Um, and I, I just, you know, I bang around on the guitar, but I don't have the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours patience to actually get good at it. So, you know, I, I can impress somebody who's never seen anybody play guitar before, but other than that, I got nothing. So, you know, I'm just a passionate about music, you know, from the time I was, you know, very, very young, music always connected with me. And then, you know, when I was 15 years old and I discovered punk rock and indie rock and, 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 and certain types of American music, it just stuck with me. And, and, and it's not necessarily that I'm, you know, passionate about getting music cleared. I'm passionate about music. And that's led me to being involved with music in a very specific way. Um, but, you know, I always say music's the girlfriend who never left, but then that makes me sound like a sad sack, which isn't true. It's just <laughs> a good catch. It's just a good quote. I like that. So record sales are down. As I'm sure you know, it's, it seems like it's become harder and harder to make a living as a musician. As a musician. Um, in terms of licensing, do you think this is something you can do, you can a- approach in terms of like trying to carve out a career licensing music? Do you think that's a, it's a viable way to earn a living? Well, it, it depends. Are you talking about as a musician or as a as a person like me? Well, I'm talking to, like specifically as a musician. I mean, I know obviously if you if you launch a successful yes. publishing or supervision comp- company, that's a viable career. But what about about the music makers? Yeah, I mean, look, there I could name plenty of bands who who sold have one song who's who's enabled them to live fairly well. You know, look at Temper Trap. Do you know any other song by them besides Sweet Disposition? I'm sure they're living very, very well on that. No, very well. Fairly well on that song. At least whoever wrote it is probably living pretty well. You know, um, you know, there are song Jet is probably living very well on Are You Gonna Go My Way if they wrote it. I don't know if they wrote it. Uh, you know, that may have been a co-write or something like that. You know, there are plenty of bands that... And, and then there are a lot of bands that live very well who you may not know. They're not huge artists, but... You know, they do very, very, very well in licensing or they're middle sized artists that happen to have one or two really big sinks. Would I plan a career around it? No. But what I've always said, the nice thing about music licensing is that it's an, and music licensing and PRO money and the growth of, of cable television and all that, or the explosion of cable television, is that it enables a middle class musician. Yeah. Are you going to buy a house in the hills and do a lot of drugs and get models and whatever lifestyle was sold to people in the 80s to be a rock star? I don't know. Are you going to be able to buy a decent house, get a studio in your basement from licensing money? If you do it well and you do it right and you get a couple, get lucky and you have a good sound that people like, sure. Would I, you know, would I quit school to write a career based on music licensing? Probably not. Yeah. No, but that... it's, it's, you know, it, there's, there, there, there's definitely money there. It just depends on, you know, having the right songs and, 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 and being the right type of artist. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's let's assume you have great songs. You're a hardworking, semi-established artist. You have a catalog of really solid music built up. What's the best way to break into the licensing space? Find somebody who's really find somebody who's going to pitch your music for you. Who's really passionate about your music. Who's got a reputable business to to pitch people like myself and other supervisors. Um, we hear from, I hear from 150 people a week. I don't need to hear from 151. And I don't mean to sound snarky or like a diva. I just think there are people who, I mean, I, I actually, I'll, I'll take that back. I actually try to respond to everybody I hear from. But I know there are people who there's only a certain finite amount of people they want to hear from about new music. And there are people that I trust. You know, I have my list of 150 people or whatever. If I have a specific need, I go out to their list and they send me music and I check it out. And it's a lot easier for me to go to one person who's got a bunch of different types of music 
like a publisher, like a music pitcher than it is to go to individual artists who have one type of music. Sure. So, so sorry, go ahead. No, 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 that, that's all I was going to say. Okay. No, I was just going to, I was going to say with that said, does it make more sense? I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is that it makes more sense for artists to develop relationships with publishers and libraries and agencies as opposed to going directly to music supervisors. Yeah, I think so, because those are also the people who understand the industry. Look, every artist should educate themselves as much about the industry as humanly possible. An educated artist, you know, manage yourself until you are too busy to have enough, have it, you know, to do it yourself. And that's the way I always say when people always say, do I need a manager or whatever? And to that extent, educate yourself on music licensing, educate yourselves on the companies, pitch a music licensing company the same way as you pitch a publisher or a record label, because they, they, they become part of your team. Um, so absolutely. What do you think about the issue of exclusivity versus non-exclusive, uh, non-exclusivity with publishers and, and libraries? Do you have a feeling one way or the other? You know, it's funny. I used to be like non-exclusive. I actually founded a company that was based on non-exclusivity years and years ago. Um, and, and I used to think, Oh, be non-exclusive because Hey, you know, the more the merrier. And, over time, I've realized that that's probably the incorrect way to look at things, that um, the best way to look at things is really have one person who's going to pitch you really, really hard because if you're, you know, who's going to benefit the most from you, because if you have multiple people, it gets confusing and then we don't know who to go to and it yeah. just gets kind of, just go exclusive with one person, um, you know, like marriage, you know, you want to really, you <laughs> want to have a member of your team that, you know, it's like you wouldn't have. You wouldn't have two catchers on the field at the same time in baseball, right? Yeah. So why would you have – I'm about to go really bad baseball analogy. Why <laughs> would you have two pitchers on the field for you? Hey, oh. Um, but, you know, so have one person who's going to do that job really well for you, and then if it doesn't work out, find another person who's going to do that job. But I think that if you do multiple parties, it gets really confusing. I had that happen where an artist who's a pretty well-known artist was being pitched for trailers by one for film and TV by another and for video games by another. But the person I knew who pitched them, it just got very confusing who to go to, go to the license for and then who makes the money off of it. And it's just easier if it's just one person. Yeah. And doesn't it also potentially lower the value of music? I mean, if you, if you have multiple companies with similar catalogs, don't like they really have nothing else to compete on but price at that point if they have access to the same music. Yeah. But if you're an independent artist, price is not something you have a lot of wiggle room on anyway. You know, we're going to independent artists because you are not major label artists who are jacked up the price, who, who have a sort of a certain low watermark that they need to get money. I don't think about it as a race to the bottom for price. You know, I think about it more like, because when I deal with, when I deal with music pictures, I'm like, here's how much money I have. It's non-negotiable. This is what mm. I got. Okay. And generally speaking, when I get budgets, I know what my budget is. If they tell me, you know, here's the ceiling of the budget and here's the low watermark, I go out the low watermark. If they try to negotiate, I say, all right, maybe I'll give you this. But generally speaking, if I say I have $40,000, I have $40,000. Gotcha. Whatever the budget is, that's what it is, and there's not a lot of – Whatever the budget is is what the budget is, you know? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I was talking to someone else that I interviewed for this podcast a couple days ago, and she told me – I'm not sure if I'm at privy to say – who this person is, but she works for a. Pretty... Oh, you could tell me. I won't tell anybody. <laughs> well, she works for a, pr a pretty major catalog in in L A, and she does only exclusive deals, 
And but like her deal is you can walk away at any point. So like while you're working yeah. with her, it's exclusive, but you're not locked in for perpetuity or for a you know a set amount of time. Oh yeah, no, which, and that's generally what it is. Usually it's like it'll be like a year term or a two year term or something, and then you can end it at any time. But if it doesn't end, you know the other. But but you know there may be like a sunset clause, like hey, any pitches that you get six months after I leave, I still get a piece of or something like that. Yeah, well, yeah, that's I- common. That's common in any contract. I mean, un- unfortunately, I've signed – like I have several songs right now that are signed exclusively with a publisher, and they're forever. You know, it's just that, that those were the terms of the contract, and I didn't at the time know as much about the business. And um, Well, that's the difference between a publisher and a pitcher, though. Right? A publisher actually is acquiring rights. A pitcher yeah. shouldn't be acquiring rights to your song. Unless they are due, then they're a publisher, and that's two very different things. Yeah, but they still get publishing royalties, right? Like if they end up placing something successfully on a TV show, there's a publisher's royalty and a writer's royalty. And I think usually they still right. get the publisher's royalty. But anyways, like the point of the story. that the picture? Yeah, right? Or, or I mean, I that, it, that depends on the deal. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, you know, uh, some pitchers take a piece of the back end. Some people don't. If I were a – if I were a – I don't know that, you know, look, I'm not a songwriter. I'm out of it. I'm on the other side of the business. But I don't know that I would give up any of my songwriting royalties. Yeah. Unless you're a publisher and are going to get me co-writes and are going to administrate my catalog and are going to administer my, you know, are going to actively do more than just, you know, syncing for license for music and film. You know, you're going to get me cuts on other people's albums. I mean, do traditional duties of a publisher. I don't know that I'd give up publishing royalties. But that's just me. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I mean, I'm I'm less and less willing to to do that, but it seems like at least with TV licensing, are you going to get an advance? You generally don't, you right? Know? Or or I haven't. I've I, never heard of I've never heard of a music pitcher getting an advance. I've heard of publishers giving an advance. Yeah, That's what publishers do. But it seems like a lot of libraries and publishers take take either all of the publishing or a percentage because in a lot of cases, like at least in the context of TV, there aren't necessarily even sync fees anymore or where they used to be. They're smaller or in some cases, I mean, there's some right. shows that don't pay anything up front. So if they don't, if there's nothing up front, there's really nowhere else for them to make money from. Right. Well, and, and that's the challenge. I mean, look, there's, I know a lot of guys who've done very, very well on back end royalties. So I'm, I'm not suggesting that's a bad way to go. I'm saying, you know, if you're if you look, if you're an artist and you're giving your music to a pitcher, they shouldn't be taken back in. That's just my opinion. If you are writing for a music library, that's very very different because the music library is a different type of music. They're usually gone to for different reasons. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, that that makes sense. How can people find? They still should be paying you to write for the library. They should be enough upfront fee to life for the library to give them your publishing. You shouldn't just give away your publishing for nothing. Yeah. So, so how can how can writers find music pitchers as opposed to music publishers? How do you go about tracking those people down? Well, I think you, look, I don't say publishers are a bad thing. Some publishers can be fantastic, and I know some really, really great independent publishers and some great major publishers. And 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 I'm not speaking ill of publishers. I'm just saying I think the role of a pitcher and a publisher can be two different things. Sometimes it can be the same thing. It depends on what you get back out of it. Um, so, look. I think publishing deals can be absolutely wonderful, especially if you're if you're a constant writer. If you're a big, yeah. big writer, I think they're great, um, especially if you can write for other people. Um, or you have a lot of international or you need a lot of administration. You have a lot of radio play or you have some international radio play or, you know, now Spotify and all that. You, you're going to need somebody to manage all that. But 
you know, I, I think as far as finding the right pitcher, what you do is look at their catalog, see if either you fit in their catalog or there's a hole in their catalog that you could fill. Find out, you know, who they work with, the types of music that they work with, the types of artists. Um, you know, do your research. You know, it's like anything else. It's like when you're playing venues, right? If you're touring for a live, you know, there are some venues that fit your type of music and some venues that don't. You know, if you're a metal band, you're not going to play the Hotel Cafe likely. If you are an acoustic singer-songwriter, you know, you're not going to go play, uh, God, the Kane Reaction in Anaheim. I was really digging for, like, a club that wouldn't play singer-songwriter. <laughs> um, you know. Yeah, like a metal bar or something. Gotta, what's that? I said, like, a metal bar, like a venue that Yeah, that exactly. On. You know, you're not going to go yeah. play CBGBs in 1994. Actually, you probably would have in 1994, but that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, no, that that makes total sense. You need to do your your due diligence. So, real quickly, let me circle back around to this story because I think this will be interesting to people listening to this, and maybe it will be in- interesting to you as well. But so, this particular person that I was talking to, she runs this uh, pretty prominent catalog in LA, and they only do exclusive deals. And they signed this artist, and I'm not, I'm not even sure who the artist is. But this particular artist assured her they're not in any other catalogs, they're not with any libraries, and she secured this artist a car commercial for like $50,000 or something like that. It was a major ad ad campaign. Unbeknownst to her and the car company, they were in multiple libraries. They were in royalty-free libraries. Uh, The brand, whoever it was, maybe it was Toyota, I'm not sure, but whoever the brand was found out about this. And there was a lawsuit, and they ended up, you know, it was just a kind of a bad situation all around. I think the band ended up losing most of the money. They had to pay it to these other libraries. It was a big copyright dispute. So, you know, it was a really kind of an eye-opening conversation that it's great to go non-exclusive to a certain extent, but if you spread yourself too thin, you can kind of shoot yourself in the foot. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I know. I totally agree. I, look, I just think that if you're exclusive, people are going to work harder for you, you know? it's like a marriage. If, if you're not exclusive with your wife, then, you know, where's, where's the love, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's a little, I, I, yeah. know people have that lifestyle and are very happy. I don't think that I'm one of them. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. But I, I think that, you know, if you're exclusive with somebody, they have an ownership stake in you and they have a reason to really, really go get behind you. And if you're not, then, you know, why work so hard if somebody else is just going to go somewhere else? Yeah. Somebody else is going to get money or get the credit. You know, the other part is if you're exclusive, somebody can help build part of your story. Are they going to really want to put the work in if somebody else is building that story, doing the exact same thing? Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, I guess that the obvious flip side to that is if you sign exclusively and absolutely nothing happens, then you should be you know, able to walk away after a certain finite period of time. Exactly. So let me ask you, this is another question I'm sort of asking everybody that I interview, and it's it's kind of a broad question, but the question is, what do you, what are your thoughts about the future of the music business going forward? Are you optimistic? <laughs> if I knew that answer, I'd have a much bigger house. Um, am I optimistic? I'm optimistic that people will always be making music Yeah. because I think there's a certain calling that you have uh, to make music, but... I'm also weird because I think there's too much music out there. And I know that sounds weird, but I worry about the disposability of music where people have so much music out there and so much access. Like when I was a kid, I got access, you know, I bought 
two CDs a month maybe, and then I taped probably five or six others. And I sat and I played those things over and over again until I knew every word. And I made mixtapes of every song that I knew and got fell in love with it. Now, I also may be colored because I'm not your typical music fan anymore because I get so much music, so I'm inundated. But I miss the days when, like, Every month you'd be passionate about like that one band because that one CD that you bought or that one CD that you taped or tape whatever. And I think with so much access to music, while I think it's amazing and it's really dem democratized things, I worry that that it's become disposable. Yeah. And that's that's really my biggest concern about music is the disposability of it. Look, you're talking to somebody who still believes in radio because radio still gets people excited about individual artists. Like, you know, I think music should still be a push medium where you push things out to the fan, not where the fan has to choose everything. You know, that's what's nice about the playlist function on certain sites where, where you learn about something and then you can keep going and go deeper, but you still have to get that initial point of entry. And yeah. there's so many points of entry now that there's so much music. At some point I'm like, I feel like if you make it a little harder for people and I don't know where I'm going with this, I really don't know the answer to this. I'm just, just a personal opinion. I just miss the days where like, you know, people just fell in love with artists and went so deep into that artist catalog. And now I feel like it's like everybody's just back to a singles medium and it's just sort of everything's fleeting. And if you can't put out a, you know, like you'd go to a concert, right? And you'd hear that third song on the second side of the third record that for whatever reason meant something to you, whether you lost your virginity to it, you broke up to it, you you know, won the high school football game, whatever it is, and that would mean a lot to you. And when you hear them performing that live, you get so damn excited. And I feel like now people don't get to that point because yeah. it's just all whatever. It's all – there's just so much of it out there that it's hard to really go that deep with an artist. I could be wrong, but I feel like, you know, that, that that's just my take. So my concern with the future of the business is, is that our great artists won't get the critical mass to reach that kid to have that moment because there's so much out there that it's so hard to the signal to noise ratio is so difficult. Yeah. That, that's the big challenge. I think. Yeah, no, that totally resonates with me. I mean, I know that was a weird rant. So no, it's no. early and my coffee just kicked in. I totally, it totally resonates with me. I, th I think, I think there is in a way too much music out there and there's also very little incentive to buy music. And, and what for the life of me, I don't understand is why apps like Spotify and SoundCloud why there's not more of a wall up, you know, it's like you used to hear a song on radio and if you liked it, you had to go buy it. And it seemed like that model worked so much better. Now everything is, is free or, you know, more or less free. Maybe going forward, they'll well, figure out a better model to uh, get people to buy music again. Well, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, look, the toothpaste out of the tube. And I think there's a look as a music supervisor, Spotify is amazing because if I need to do some research, it's an amazing research. I actually really like Apple Music also. I use Spotify for sort of my um, work, and I use Apple Music as a fan because Apple Music's playlists are spectacular mm -hmm. if you've played with it at all. But, like, I decided two weeks ago that I needed to listen to more John Prine. Hmm. I don't know if you know who John Prine is. Sure. Uh, and, you know, big influence on guys like Conor Oberst and probably Bon Iver and, and, and a whole host of people. And... I went to Apple Music and they had an introductory playlist to the history of John Prine at my fingertips that I could go dig deep and learn more about John Prine. That's wonderful. And that's going to make me more of a John Prine fan than having to go buy records. So, so I think there's a, there's two sides to every story. Yeah. I just wish, I don't know how to do this, but I just wish there was a way to get people excited about artists and not just about songs because people like songs, but people love artists. 
And, you know, to keep artists well compensated and to keep that model where it's like, if you want to make money, you got to tour. You've got to get people excited about the whole catalog, I think. Because, you know, otherwise they're just going to go to a show and go play that one song. And then you're like, all right. Like, I forget who I saw. This was not too long ago. But it was an artist that had been around for a while who had a hit song a little bit later in their career. They, they, they played like two or three songs and then they played the hit song and then said, okay, the re all of you who came to hear that song can now go home and leave it for the rest of us who really want to hear what we have to say. <laughs> can, I thought it was brilliant. That's awesome. And I'm trying to remember who the hell it was. <laughs> oh God. I don't remember. I'll email you when I remember. You can, you can put up a addendum to this interview. Anyway. Yeah, no, that, that's funny. It reminds me one time I saw Peter Frampton and probably. 2008, 2007, something like that. And he came. Brandon Comes Alive was recorded in my hometown, but I, I don't know that I was alive yet. But he was recorded in my hometown. <laughs> yeah, he's he's great. But it was it was a great concert. But it was like the first half of the concert was all new material, and somebody in between every song just kept yelling out, you know, they they wanted to hear the hits. And uh, at one point, Frampton just stopped, and he's like, "Would you please shut?" the fuck up he's like i promise i'll play everything you want to hear he's like it took me 11 years to write this record just let me play my new songs i thought that was a well it was funny i saw i saw uh, noel gallagher do that where yeah. this guy kept asking for an oasis song and i forget the name of the song and finally noel gallagher you know famously kurt noel gallagher looks at the guy and goes hey what's the name of that song you want to hear yeah and the guy yells the name of the song, and Noel goes, great, go home and play it on your record player. I'm going back to my show. Yeah, I'm going to play what I want to play. Yeah, I guess you kind of have to strike a healthy balance. Obviously, you want to play songs that people want to hear, but, yeah, it's funny how people are, are – they just want to hear – they want to hear the hits. So, Daryl, listen, thanks so much for doing this. I'm going to let you go. We're at about a half, half hour. really appreciate you taking the time out of your day, and I want to tell people how they can find – Find out more about you and, and what you do. Your website. Yeah, go check out my website, which is soundcyn.com. Sound Canyon is the name of my company. Uh, I'm on every social media site, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, you know, if you have any contacts, my email is up on the site, Daryl at soundcanyon.com or soundcyn.com. Uh, if you have a, you know, a legitimate question, I will give you a legitimate answer. Um, if you have an illegitimate question, I will give you an illegitimate answer. Um, that's, that's how to find me. Yeah. I cool. look forward to hearing from you. Awesome. And can people, can they pitch music directly to you or how do you deal with, uh, sure. okay. Sure. Cool. Just make sure that they don't send MP3. Just send me a link. It's okay. a lot easier. And email me. Do not call me. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that makes sense. Daryl, thanks so much for doing this. Have a great day, man. My pleasure. Take care, man.